Welcome to the Energy Policy Now podcast from the Climate Center for Energy Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Stone. A quarter of a century has passed since deregulation came to America's electricity markets. Deregulation was intended to bring competition to the electricity industry, driving innovation that would provide consumers with more affordable and reliable electric power than ever before. Has deregulation delivered on its promise? That question is the focus of this special episode of the Energy Policy Now podcast. Earlier this month, we were invited to host a debate on the issue at Grid Forward 2020, an annual event that brings together leading insights from a range of stakeholders to address opportunities for electric grid modernization. What follows is that debate in full. Here we go. The process of deregulating electricity markets began a quarter of a century ago with the aim of leveraging competitive market forces to provide consumers with abundant and reliable electricity more economically than ever before. As experience has shown, however, deregulation has brought both benefits and challenges. In the early years of deregulation, an ill-conceived strategy to introduce competition to California's electricity market led to market manipulation, high energy prices, and ultimately to utility bankruptcies. In the wake of the crisis, many wondered if the grand experiment of deregulation had come to an early end. Yet over the last decade, deregulation has provided generally better outcomes. Competitive markets have been able to efficiently pass cost savings from the shale gas revolution to consumers, and competition has created a dynamic platform for the entry of new forms of clean and distributed energy. Yet the question remains, on the whole, has deregulation delivered on its promise to give consumers abundant and reliable electricity more economically than ever before? And as we'll explore in today's debate, has deregulation ultimately led to better community outcomes, which in today's context means more than just cheap and reliable service, but also equitable access to clean energy options and the environmental and public health benefits that a cleaner electricity system promises? The question of whether deregulation has been a positive or a negative for consumers is timely and is the topic of our debate. Today's debate will argue yes or no to the following statement. Electricity deregulation leads to better community outcomes. I'm Andy Stone, producer of the Energy Policy Now podcast from the Climate Center for Energy Policy at the University of Pennsylvania and guest host for this podcast debate at Grid Forward 2020. I'm here with our two debaters, both of whom are deeply familiar with the topic of, excuse me, of electric industry regulation, yet each brings an opposing view on the merits of deregulation itself. Arguing for the motion is Mark Colasar, Managing Principal at Colasar Buchanan and Associates. Mark, welcome to the debate. Thank you. So you are the former chairman of the Alberta Utilities Commission, where you served for 12 years. And Alberta has embraced wholesale and retail deregulation, and I imagine you've gotten to see many of the changes that resulted from that. Yes, they have, and I've had to deal with a lot of the challenges of trying to get all of the market rules right, and I'll be talking not specifically about that Alberta situation, but I, I will be speaking to what some of the challenges are with respect to trying to get all of that right. And the debater arguing against today's motion is Bruce Edelston. Bruce is president of the Energy Policy Group. Bruce, welcome to the debate. Thank you. Happy to be here. 
So you spent 25 years with the Southern Company, most recently as its vice president for energy policy. Southern operates, as many know, uh, in a part of the United States that embraces cost of service regulation. In your career, I imagine that you've been involved in many discussions over the relative merits of deregulated and cost of service markets. Yeah, that's right. At one point, we even went uh, so far as to explore the idea of setting up an ISO or RTO in the, in the southeast and deregulating and went fairly deep into the process before the state commissions decided that they sort of liked the way things were and that sort of ended that. Okay, once again, Bruce and Mark, welcome to the debate. Today's motion is electricity deregulation leads to better community outcomes. We're going to run this debate in three rounds. In the first round, each debater will make an uninterrupted statement supporting his view. Uh, round two will be our question and answer round when the audience will have the opportunity to submit questions through the GoTo platform for our debaters. And next will be our third round, and it's also our final round when our debaters will make their final statements. And at the end of today's debate, I'll read the results of our poll that will ask the audience whether their views have been shifted by today's debate. And to our audience, that poll will show up in your GoToMeeting screen. So without further ado, uh, going first and speaking for the motion, please welcome Mark Colasar, Managing Principal at Colasar Buchanan and Associates. Mark, you have five minutes for your opening statement. Thank you, Andy. So yes, let me jump in. Um, I think it's pretty clear that competition, however imperfect it might be, provides incentives that promote allocative, productive, and dynamic efficiencies, and those drive the cost of production down and move prices towards marginal costs for both the incumbent utility and new entrants. And it's difficult to promote or emulate in a regulatory structure what competition can actually do. It's not impossible. There are some forms of performance-based regulation uh, that helped to get us there. But I would argue that nothing gets you there as well as what competition does. So the benefits of competitive entry for consumers are generally expected to be more innovative product offerings, more choice in product offerings, better value per dollar of spend, better customer service and greater reliability. The question is whether these benefits are actually occurring in utility markets where competition has been introduced. My answer is that these benefits are generally occurring, but not uniformly across all jurisdictions or across all rate classes. However, this is often the result of poor market design or market regulation failures, all of which can and are being rectified over time. So let's see what's actually happening in the market. First, there's ample evidence that deregulation of wholesale markets in the US and elsewhere, where wholesale providers have been given non-discriminatory access to transmission networks, has fostered a competitive wholesale market that's reduced the wholesale cost of electricity by literally billions of dollars annually. This result in itself, I think, is ample evidence that allowing competitive entry into the monopoly electricity market has been a success, at least in the wholesale arena. However, those who argue that competition has failed point to alleged failures in the retail market. And let's see what's happening there. A Christensen study in 2016 reported that where retail choice is offered in the US market, 
about half of all commercial and industrial consumers have chosen non-utility service providers. And that's ostensibly because new entrants are providing benefits that in turn, the incumbent utilities must attempt to match. The result in my view is that all customers in these markets, whether served by a new entrant or an incumbent utility, have benefited from the introduction of retail competition. In addition, there are arguably multiplier effects in the economy that the introduction of competition in the electricity market for commercial and industrial customers that be benefit the economy at large and many, if not all, consumers. But the arguments against the benefits of competitive entry in the electricity market generally ignore this effect. However you measure it, I would conclude that competitive entry in at least that part of the market is a success. Where most allegations of market failure arise is in the residential consumer market, where only about 2.4% of these customers were taking service from a new entrant at the time of the Christensen study. However, many other jurisdictions in Canada, the UK, Europe and Australia often show much better results in the consumer market. The failures in many US jurisdictions have been cited in various studies as failures in the unbundling of network elements, the complexity and cost of switching, inadequate dissemination of market information, particularly among lower incomers, inappropriate rules with suppliers switching, and early failures with respect. I won't argue that these failures have occurred. The introduction of retail competition in a heretofore monopoly market is an inherently messy exercise and one that involves a degree of trial and error on behalf of policymakers and regulators. But I would argue that all of these market failures are ultimately rectifiable in time and that policymakers, legislators, and regulators that have embraced competitive entry have taken steps to deal with these market failures and continue to do so. There's also evidence that retail choice has successfully promoted green energy market participation. New entrants have generally been the ones to promote green energy alternatives as a means of market differentiation to create a competitive advantage and incumbents have subsequently been encouraged to follow suit. I think this is an important and often overlooked benefit of retail competition. So this brings me to my final point, which is that competition for the regulated utility is already happening in electricity markets virtually everywhere. With the advent of distributed generation and self-supply alternatives and the introduction of the consumer as a prosumer. In my view, regulators and policymakers have no choice but to embrace this evolution and work towards an orderly transition to a more competitive market. So that concludes what I have to say at this point. So back to you, Andy. Thank you, Mark. Bruce, it's now your turn. Uh, you'll be arguing against the motion, electricity deregulation leads to better community outcomes. Bruce, you also have five minutes to make your statement. I want to start out with a little bit of history as to why I think deregulation is not only not ideal for customers who ultimately ought to be what we're concerned about in the community, but also in the end may not be possible in the way that we typically think about deregulation. 
want to go back to the Supreme Court decision of 1876, known as Munn versus Illinois, which actually dealt with grain elevators and whether or not the state of Minnesota had the right to regulate and set the prices for storage of grain products in those silos you see all over Minnesota. And the Supreme Court, interestingly enough, didn't rule based on the monopoly status of those grain silos, but rather that it was a business affected with the public interest. And therefore the state had a role to play in making sure that those grain elevators followed the public interest. That particular Supreme Court was cited over and over again in the coming years and kind of became one of the primary bases for regulation of both gas and electric utilities. Uh, and the fact of the matter is what it boils down to is electricity is a, a political animal. Well, the electricity markets are political, uh, governed by policy of the states. And as long as that's true, deregulation is going to be difficult, if not impossible, to achieve. But when we talk about deregulation, I think we have to talk about what we mean, because there are different forms. Uh, Mark focused a lot on retail markets and customer choice, which is certainly one form of deregulation. Uh, there's also deregulation of wholesale markets, which actually happened earlier than retail markets. And wholesale markets have been deregulated not only in those states that have restructured, uh, but also states that still have vertically integrated utilities. Most of them also have competitive wholesale markets. Then there's the difference between energy and capacity. Uh, energy markets are the sales of kilowatt hours that are used on a second to second, minute to minute, hour to hour basis uh, can be deregulated. Uh, and capacity, which is building enough generation uh, kilowatts or megawatts to meet customer demand at the peak uh, is also a separate market which may or may not be deregulated. And then finally there's transmission distribution markets for which there really isn't very much controversy. I think most people would agree that those markets are natural monopolies and probably will remain regulated for the foreseeable future. I actually fully support deregulation in wholesale markets, uh, particularly in energy markets, as long as there's no market power and competition, I think, among various generation choices and suppliers is a good idea and lead to lower cost to customers. Uh, and power should be economically dispatched, whether it's based on actual marginal cost, as in the case of vertically integrated utilities, or based on bids, as is in the case of restructured markets. The major problems with deregulation are in two areas. One is in retail markets, and the second is really capacity markets. With respect to retail markets, the beneficiaries, as Mark pointed out, have primarily been larger customers, commercial and industrial, uh, with buying power. Uh, but residential customers really haven't seen much benefit from retail choice. Most of them are remaining on default service for local utility. There's no evidence, although there have been lots of studies that have shown that retail competition has not resulted in lower rates to customers. Uh, there have been a reduction in prices in restructured markets, uh, but a lot of that has been due to fuel mix and not because of retail competition. Uh, if wholesale competition is working to provide the best or lowest generation prices, you have to ask the question, uh, what additional value 
does retail competition or retail supply bring. My grandmother used to always say, don't buy it retail when you can buy wholesale. Uh, and I think that's probably true of retail markets as well. Mark mentioned some potential advantages such as innovative product and services, but I think those are off, off, also being offered by regulated utilities. The real issue for deregulation, I think, is whether or not it's going to provide sufficient capacity in the future. The ISO and RTOs generally found that energy markets alone don't do the trick and have decided to build new capacity markets. They tried a series of rule changes to try and fix problems uh, of non-investment in new capacity. Uh, and finally, a new tool was developed known as capacity markets. But capacity markets were developed only for insurance capacity for a short period to the future, uh, three years in the case of PJM, and I think most others around the same. There's not enough time here to go into all of the problems uh, with capacity markets, but the current problem or issue that everyone is trying to deal with is the fact, going back to Munn versus Illinois, that electricity is affected with the public interest the generation of kilowatt hours have environmental consequences and therefore states are going to make policy choices as to how generation is done within the states. The Federal Power Act in 1935 gave states clear authority uh, to decide generating capacity within states uh, and FERC has been dealing with trying to harmonize state uh, capacity market decisions with uh, federal wholesale markets. Uh, therein lies the problem, essentially. Electric generation is not a fungible commodity like bananas in the supermarket, but it has characteristics, particularly environmental, that are important. And most importantly, sufficient generation is essential to reliability and resilience of the electric grid. The experience in California over the past couple weeks and months, uh, where they've been pretty much going up against capacity constraints, it's kind of scary and perhaps a cautionary tale as to whether or not relying on competition to ensure reliability. Uh, but that's a debate that we can probably leave to another day. So politics, or maybe more accurately, policy has remained a fixture in deregulated markets, and that will continue. And one needs to ask the question whether or not those markets really have been deregulated. Some will say that regulated traditionally vertically integrated utility have their own problems. And that's certainly true, uh, but capacity is not one of them. Generally, regulated utilities have done very well in ensuring that reserve margins are satisfied and reliability uh, is maintained. Some will say that that certainty comes at a cost, and that's also true, uh, but sometimes consumers buy insurance uh, to avoid the worst consequences of bad decisions, and to some extent, regulation can be thought of as an insurance policy for customers. I would also note that regulated markets aren't devoid of competition. I mentioned wholesale competition. Southern Company, where I used to work, was required to go out for a competitive bid uh, for all new capacity that it brought onto the system. So the fact of the matter is that there are regulated elements in both restructured markets and traditional markets and deregulated elements in both markets. My theory has always been that we're probably going to reach some convergence uh, where we don't have regulated or deregulated markets, but instead we just have an electric grid that has elements of both. That's my statement. Bruce and Mark, thank you both for your statements. We now move on to round two, 
And in this round, our debaters will take questions and address each other directly. Again, our motion is this, electricity deregulation leads to better community outcomes. So Mark, in your statement, you essentially, you said a number of things, but one thing that stood out for me was that you said that uh, through deregulation, we've seen more innovative product offerings, uh, but you also said that this has not been uniform and not equally across all rate classes. And where it isn't, or where it has not been equal, it's not necessarily the fault of, of the markets themselves, but of the policies. Bruce, uh, you point out the fact that business customers, industrial and commercial customers, have benefited generally more from deregulation, particularly in the retail markets, than other customers. Uh, there's no evidence of lower rates due to deregulation, uh, and that falling prices where they have come have often been the result of fuel mix issues. I assume that's related primarily to natural gas rather than the markets themselves. So let me go ahead and ask you first a few questions. And again, I invite the audience uh, to submit your questions as well. But let's go to this first one here. And this is for Mark. As Bruce stated, commercial and industrial customers have taken advantage of competitive retail electricity service where it is available, while residential consumers have not opted for competitive supply at nearly the same rate. Now, from the customer or the community side of this, what I take away is that, at least from their perspective, deregulation doesn't provide benefits that outweigh the risks of being involved in a competitive retail situation. What would you say to this? I'm not sure that's completely true. I mean, from a lot of uh, the research that I've looked at, part of the issue for customers at the consumer end is having an adequate understanding of, of the value of switching to a different supplier given the relative amount of spend in their household. So how much trouble do I wanna to go to to go and look for an alternative supplier if it's unclear to me what the real advantages are to me? Do I save enough money? Do I have enough, is there, enough alternative choice there. Now, in some jurisdictions, you're starting to see more and more alternative choice. And if, if, for example, if you start to look at jurisdictions that are beginning to provide for the opportunity for time of use rates, and you're seeing uh, in jurisdictions where um, the, the pricing of electricity is relatively high, you'll start seeing consumers seeing the advantages of the potential to make that type of a switch. But when my actual cost of delivered electricity is re relatively low, say, relative to what my grocery bill is, am I gonna put a lot of effort into trying to find an alternative form of supply? So to the extent that the alternative is easy it's obvious, it's being marketed in a way that I as a consumer see that, yeah, you know, there's an advantage to that switch and it's easy for me to do. Jurisdictions that manage to do that, you'll see a lot more switching, even though the relative value to the consumer is not significantly high. Um, so it, there's a real mix of market problems or market challenges for a competitive retailer, even just trying to attract the consumer 
That doesn't mean there's not the opportunity for the consumer to save, but it needs to be relatively important to them to go through the exercise of actually doing it. So one of the questions that you'd want to ask yourself is, do people actually look at their bill? Like, do they actually care? Do they care enough that they're going to look at a competitive retailer? And I think certain conditions have to come into play before the residential consumer is sufficiently interested in going to all the trouble to switch. And that's been a, sort of what part of the problem has been. So it doesn't mean that retail competition for the consumer isn't working or it's not a good thing. It may not, just not be as important to the consumer as it would be for the commercial or industrial customer where their, their spend relative spend is much higher and so they have much more of an incentive to look for an alternative. So there's a lot going on there and I've probably taken more time than I should have to answer your question. I agree with Mark. There, there probably are not enough savings to make it worthwhile for residential customers to shop for power uh, unless they're forced to in, in Texas, which is interesting that the incumbent suppliers weren't allowed to continue to provide service to any customers. So there they have 100% uptake of competitive suppliers, uh, but that was just by government fiat. Uh, and, you know, I think as wholesale markets become more and more efficient, the rationale for retail supply, particularly for residential and commercial customers, is going to probably lessen even further. Okay, Bruce, uh, you alluded to this, this following topic at the end of your initial presentation. I want to bring it back here. So... I'd like you to respond uh, to the argument that regulated markets are fundamentally ill-suited to bringing about the types of innovation that deregulated electricity markets can provide. Can you tell us why regulated markets might be, let's say, equally as good at incentivizing new forms of technology, particularly at the scale and speed needed to address immediate community environmental and larger climate challenges? Well. Uh, to the extent that carbon-free large generating plants like nuclear are still needed, I think the only way you're going to get those built is in a, in a regulated environment. But most utilities have to do integrated resource planning. They have to demonstrate to their regulators that they are uh, still the best option available uh, for their uh, customers, and therefore they have to look at new technologies. When I said Southern, we had a examine uh, just about every new technology and compare them to other options uh, before we decided on uh, a particular path to follow. So I think it's true that regulated markets can be maybe not as, as quickly as deregulated markets, I will give you that, but I think they are able to bring forth new technology and I think experience has shown that they've been successful at it. Mark, is your, is your view uh, equal to that, that the regulated markets can also bring uh, sufficient innovation to, to, uh, to the system? I, I think in the absence of an genuine incentive to do so, I would say no. But I think as the market continues to evolve and you're starting to see um, the implications of technology, the implications of the advent of, of prosumers, you're going to see the regulated providers having a greater incentive to um, be much more 
innovative because a lot of their customers are going to have an opportunity to start looking at other alternatives and going off the grid, even in the absence of retail competition. Uh, Mark, uh, here's another question I'd like to ask you, at least to start. Um, some would argue that the deregulation of electricity markets exposes consumers to more energy price volatility, uh, or at least uncertainty about their future bills, and that this can be particularly damaging to low-income communities. What do you say to the statement that cost of service regulation best protects these communities from the dangers and uncertainties of competitive electricity markets, particularly, I think, on the retail side? Well, the first piece of my response is I think the volatility is more a function of the wholesale market than the retail market. Um, and what I've seen in a lot of jurisdictions with respect to retail competition, one of the things that uh, uh, a competitive retail um, alternative provides is actually certainty with respect to what your bill is going to look like every single month. So you can basically sign up for an extended period of time for a um, an electricity rate at a set price. And then um, what that does is it actually takes any of the market volatility away from the consumer and the retailer now absorbs all of the risk of market volatility. So I think there's an argument that uh, within a, um, a, a retail competition environment that there's actually um, perhaps better alternatives to insulate the consumer from market volatility because that risk is now borne by the retailer, not by the consumer. So I'll move on to our next question. This one goes to you, Bruce. Okay. Economists seem to be in general agreement that the most efficient way to reduce carbon emissions in the energy industry is through the implementation of a carbon price. Yet the climate impact of a carbon price could be muted through traditional regulated markets where the opportunity cost uh, of the carbon price would not be so immediately felt or apparent. Uh, to what extent do you think that regulated markets are compatible with carbon pricing? Uh, and this is particularly relevant right now as here in the States, the FERC just had a technical conference on carbon pricing. So it looks like something's coming at least to those markets. Well, I have a, a couple of answers to that. The, the first thing is if we went to uh, carbon price, it would affect the dispatch of regulated utilities. They would uh, factor in carbon prices into uh, the price of dispatching a power plant. So cleaner power plants would get dispatched earlier in the, the overall merit order of generators. Uh, so that would have an effect. Uh, there would certainly also have an effect on planning for new generation because the carbon price, uh, as it already is in a lot of cases, but it would have to be reflected in comparing future generating options. Uh, so if when we're considering a, a new natural gas plant, one would have to take into account the, the cost of carbon uh, compared to alternatives, uh, non-fossil fuel alternatives. So I think the price signals may not be as immediate in regulated markets, but I think they would still be there. I can jump in there. Um, look, 
the point of a carbon price is that you want to um, encourage um, uh, more uh, demand side management. And I think when you don't have a price signal that's as immediate as it can be for the actual consumer who's going to consume the electricity, you really severely blunt uh, anything that you're trying to achieve with a carbon price. And in fact, in my mind, what it does is it really just turns a carbon price into a form of taxation that really does nothing to affect uh, the demand side outcomes that you're trying to get. So I would argue that um, it's not impossible in a regulated or underegulated retail market to have an effective carbon price, but the regulated utility has to see that actual carbon price show up on the consumer's bill. It needs to be visible to the consumer to actually affect the behavior of the consumer on the demand side. So um, I think you can do it. Um, it's just a question of how you want to structure what your carbon price is. Bruce and Mark, thank you for that section. We will now move on to round three of our debate. In this round, the debaters will make their closing statements. Uh, they will focus in particular on how regulated or deregulated electricity markets may best address the priority issues of energy equity and climate change. So Bruce will offer his closing statement first, arguing against the motion that electricity deregulation leads to better community outcomes. Bruce. Well, when all is said and done, I view gener electric generation uh, and electric generation capacity as such a vital resource uh, both the local, state, and national uh, economic vitality, but also to the environment and to the community, which is an issue in this discussion. And that will become even more true as renewables become a larger part of the grid. It's going to be important that we have enough fixed capacity to back up the variability of renewable resources. Uh, and one would hope that the deregulated market can make sure that enough batteries are installed or enough gas fire generation is still around, isn't retired, that renewables can provide the reliability that we need. But I'm just not so sure, and to me, it's a big gamble to take. Uh, fixed capacity is going to have to be paid for to ensure 365-day, 24-hour reliability. And markets alone, I don't think will suffice. I think we're going to have to have some sort of regulated solution. I think capacity markets, to some degree, are a partially regulated solution, although they have elements of competition in them, too. I think we'll continue to have retail competition, but I think only uh, makes a big difference for commercial industrial customers. Uh, I think it's going to be more difficult with retail choice for uh, long-term investment decisions, and that worries me that we're not going to, we're probably not going to build very much fixed long-term capacity in deregulated markets in the future, whether it be natural gas, whether it be hydrogen, whether it be nuclear or whatever. And finally, I think we'll continue to see significant benefits from wholesale competition in both regulated or restructured markets, uh, and I encourage that. I think we ought to 
continue to expand the geographic boundaries for such competition because uh, the larger the area uh, where joint dispatch or economic dispatch occurs, uh, the lower the cost for customers. Bruce, thanks very much for that statement. Mark, uh, let's move on to you. Your final statement for two minutes. All right, thank you. Um, I would agree with Bruce that certainly there's no opportunity, I think, to um, deregulate wires costs themselves. They are a natural monopoly and in the absence of significant technological change, I, I, I don't see um, that they're not going to continue to be the natural monopoly portion of the electricity system. I think wholesale deregulation has been a huge success. Uh, I think it will continue to be a success. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time looking at capacity markets. We don't have time for that, but I think uh, that a well-structured capacity market, I think I would agree with Bruce that that can actually serve well. Um, on the retail side, um, I think there are tremendous advantages to allowing for retail competition. Um, even though you can cite examples of where the, um, the regulated utility has begun to or has provided some of the benefits that one might see in a deregulated retail market, I would argue that none of that would have occurred had it not been for deregulated retail markets providing an opportunity for those kinds of alternatives to actually come to the surface. One of the interesting papers that I would encourage people to read is one, it's quite old now. Um, it's by Weissman and Pfeffenberger, I think is the name. And it's a paper on uh, the fact that innovation is a process of discovery. And in the absence of an incentive to have to go and discover alternatives, because you're faced with competition, a lot of that discovery simply doesn't matter or, or doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen because you, you don't have an incentive to be creative. You don't have an incentive to go and look for market alternatives in the absence of a competitive desire to do so. So I really perhaps am predominantly philosophically of the view that in the absence of competitive alternatives, there's really very little, if any, incentive for the regulated utility to start looking at alternatives to what they've always done. And I think what we'll see, as I said uh, before, is that even in the absence of retail competition in some jurisdictions, I think the advent of technological change and the increasing opportunities for customers to self-supply uh, probably more in uh, some rate classes than perhaps in the residential rate class, but increasingly there as well. I think that in itself will start to provide some of the same incentives that a deregulated retail offering would provide to the incumbent to start to be more creative than they otherwise might have been. So 
I would argue that you're just not going to get the same outcomes uh, in an underegulated market as you will in a deregulated market. Bruce and Mark, thank you for your closing statements in the Grid Forward Energy Policy Now debate. Uh, we had planned to have a poll here. It looks like due to technical difficulties, we will not have that poll. Uh, so that concludes our debate today. Again, thank you to all our audience from Mark, Bruce, and me. And thanks on behalf of Gridford and the Energy Policy Now podcast for making today's debate possible. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to this special Energy Policy Now Grid Forward 2020 debate. Our debaters have been Mark Colasar, Managing Principal at Colasar Buchanan & Associates, and Bruce Edelston, President of the Energy Policy Group. Visit the Climate Center for Energy Policy's website for a wealth of research events and blogs from leaders in the field of energy policy. You can get updates from the center by subscribing to our monthly newsletter. The newsletter link is on the Climate Center's homepage. Thanks for listening to Energy Policy Now, and have a great day. Thank you.